And I'd love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We will be taking a look together at uh, verse 12 through 22 is this third installment of our study through 2 Corinthians. That'll take us from here till next June or so as together we walk through different parts of God's word. Uh, years ago, uh, some of you are in the same generation as me or before, you remember grade school carnivals. Remember those? Grade school carnivals, the gym was filled with the uh, smell of cotton candy and popcorn and kids running around getting these uh, dumb, uh, little prizes, uh, worthless <laughs> things that take you take home and you, they break and everybody cries. And there's, back in the day, before we had cupcake walks, we used to do real cake walks. I mean, you get the whole cake. I don't know what this cupcake walk thing. Why even bother to walk for a cupcake? But back in the day, we did cakewalks. And so that was back in the day when families could make cakes from home and bring them and give them away to strangers without worrying about it. So the place was always loaded with cakes. And you could go over there and give them a little ticket and walk around. And if they pull your number, then you get a cake. Uh, much to your mother's chagrin, because you don't need all of that. And so on. But I've, I've thought about those times of chaos and uh, as I've grown older. And I've wondered if those things all happened in grade school uh, to help our little boys and girls enjoy a cakewalk. Because for the rest of their life, it won't be. Cakewalk, that is. Uh, if I were to go around the room and ask for areas of challenge and struggle, I know that we would hear quite a few. There always are. And each one significant in its own way. You know, the Bible, the New Testament, talks about struggle. Pastor Matt reminded us of this last week. Uh, certainly there are t- things that we struggle with that are part of living in a, in a broken world. Plenty of those. Aging, pains, things like that. Weather-related, car batteries. And there's always, as well, the things that we deal with and struggle with because we do something stupid, frankly. Something we shouldn't do, say something we shouldn't have said. And or worse. And then there are struggles that come from living out our faith, living like a Christian, wanting to live like a, a part of the family of God in a certain circumstance. Sometimes those things are just hard. They really are. The New Testament prepares us for this. It really does. Over and over again, you have Peter, for example, First Peter, uh, saying to us, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come upon you to test your faith, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share He says, the sufferings of Christ keep on rejoicing. Um, The Apostle Paul, in numerous places, certainly Jesus, uh, addressed these things as well. The struggles, uh, Ephesians 6, Paul, you'll remember, says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, world forces of the darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Not always flesh and blood struggles. And then, of course, 2 Corinthians 10, as we'll see in a few weeks as we get there, uh, months, okay? Uh, The Apostle Paul talking about this, talks about struggle, and he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty through God to pull down strongholds. The the struggle, though, um, is remembering the words of one of the old hymns of the faith. Um, Some of the different hymnals use different uh, versions or different uh, verses are plugged in. Um, But I want to read you a couple of things here. The church is one foundation. Remember this? Church is one foundation. Is Jesus Christ our Lord? Then you get to verse 3. Mid toil and tribulation. 
and tumult of her war. How about that? She waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Indeed, there's another verse that I grew up singing that's even more cheerful than that. It says this. Let's see here. Though with a scornful wonder we see her, that is the church, sore oppressed by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping. Their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. And of course, the how long is a reference to the picture in Revelation 6, uh, saints before the throne of God uh, crying out, how long, O Lord, till you avenge our blood that was shed in faith? How long? Well, verse 3 didn't make the cut for some hymnals. I realize uh, schisms rent asunder and heresies. Wow. When we come to 2 Corinthians, there are challenges. And Paul is going to address a number of those things very, very directly. I don't know what those things are for you. We'll take a look at the text. And I so much desire that as we read the text and preach the text that we'll see what's going on here and that God will use his word to help us think about what's going on here too. Okay? I want to pray for us that God will help us and we'll step into these things this morning. Father, I thank you for bringing each person in the door here today, each of these hours. Uh, thank you. Thank you for each family and each person represented. Uh, what a privilege to come and, and remember you as God, our creator, and to open the word of God together, what a privilege. Um, Thank you, our Father, that we can ask for your help because we surely need it. To hear, to understand, and to love your word, and then to be shaped by it. So, Father, do that today. This is your work, and we ask it of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you look at your sermon notes, you see a couple elements of review. I always invite you to to look back a bit and remember where we have been. Certainly, Pastor Matt last week uh, did a commendable job of remembering with us uh, the background to 2 Corinthians and so on. Uh, Then we come to that part called today's text, where I say a word about what's going on here today. And I remind you, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, 1, uh, 12 to 22. I'll say a word about Jude in a moment. But one of Paul's writings, reasons for writing this letter is to defend his apostolic authority. I want you to think with me about three layers of things, okay? Because these these are all at play here, and I want you to get all three. uh, Just just get this in your mind, all right? In the book of 2 Corinthians, there's a big picture, and that is about the gospel. That is the story of Jesus, okay? That's, That's really the story of the Bible. It's certainly what 2 Corinthians is about, big picture. It's the story of, 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 of the Uh, The challenge of communicating the gospel, protecting the gospel, the story of Jesus who bore our sin in his body when he died on the cross, rose from the dead, uh, ascended to heaven, coming again, and the the call in the scripture for us to trust Christ as our savior from sin. So there's a big picture of that, the gospel worth protecting, and if I may say, fighting for. Now, underneath that, as what we have here in front of us here today's text, Paul defending his apostolic authority. That's a pretty big deal too. He was one of the few uh, designated in the Bible as capital A apostle. You've heard me refer to things that way before. Capital A apostle, a limited number. Ephesians 2 said the apostles and prophets were the foundation, laid the foundation of the church. And the apostle Paul, of course, was a capital A apostle personally called by, by Christ himself and seen 
he had seen a vision, a recognition of meeting with the resurrected Christ. That was a requirement to be a capital A apostle, was to, to see the resurrected Christ. Paul did the road to uh, Damascus, of course. You read about that in the book of Acts. So Paul was a capital A apostle, and there were those who were um, finding fault with that in the church at Corinth. And saying, in some cases, well, I'm just as much an apostle as you are. Paul, get over yourself. And, or disagreeing with him, undermining, attacking. And Paul is going to defend his role as an apostle. It's not about him. It, it's really about the role that he represents as an apostle. Uh, one of the ones laying the foundation of the church. If he just rolled over and said, it doesn't really matter. Okay, hold on. He's not defending something that must be defended. And so he does. He does step on up to the plate with that. And then, of course, very, uh, I'd say smaller, a third element today, part of what's going on in the text, you'll see as I read, is there are some communication issues. It's not the main thing, but there are some communication issues. I want to talk about that. Apparently, in the last 2,000 years, we haven't gotten any better at this than they were back then. Uh, a few other, you know, a few hundred other books have been written and speeches and lectures and counseling, and, and we still are kind of lousy at communication, or at least the other people all are. Uh, you know how that goes. It's really you. <laughs> All right. So I want to read the text, and we'll talk about these, but I don't, want you, I don't want you to hear just a sermon on communication. That's only part of it. We'll talk about that. It's not the big deal. So pay attention. God's word, as we read together, I'm going to read down through chapter 2, verse 1, into next week's text. Oh, there's a reason. So we read. For our boast is this the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity, some would say uh, holiness there, some translations, simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read, what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Did I make my plans or do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, or no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, uh, Sylvanus, Timothy, and I, that's the, the, the audience or the groups that are writing the letter here, uh, the, Sylvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always Yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. And he goes on from there. 
okay, what in the world is going on? Well, uh, here we go. I referenced a moment ago Jude 1, 2, and 3. That's a place where Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, calls believers to contend. He says, contend for the faith once for all delivered. Now, he doesn't mean by contending for the faith, being contentious. Do you know the difference between these? You can contend, pursue, argue strongly for, and not be contentious. You can state the case, arm wrestle somebody to the mat verbally because it's important without being a jerk. Sometimes we run away from those things. We run away sometimes from the things that are, are, we should be talked about. Sometimes we don't do things very, very nicely. We are contentious. So what Paul is pushing for here, Jude would commend him to do this, would be to contend for the faith, but not be contentious. Okay? Now, having said that, here's kind of the backdrop. Paul has had a long ministry with the church at Corinth. Okay? Uh, Started at about 51 to 52, pretty sure of those dates, about 20 years after Jesus died on the cross, which is pretty close in terms of history. For those of us old enough to remember, that's like, you know, 9-11 to now. We remember that pretty well, don't we? If you lived through those days, you do. Well, Paul remembered those days, of course, and 20 years later, he's there at Corinth. Lots happened in his life. But at Corinth, it's kind of a mess. Uh, it's messy people and messy things. And you've, we've talked about Corinth as a city and so on, a bit of history we've done in past sermons. But it's a difficult thing. He has written probably four letters. We mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Probably there were four letters. Two of those God chose to have included in the New Testament. Two of the others he graciously decided he didn't want to put in the New Testament. So we don't have those anymore. Everything written by the Apostle Paul or everything written in the first century doesn't belong in the Bible. Uh, that's a whole study in itself. But 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are probably part of a couple others that went back and forth. These two, God said, I want those in the book. And so we have those. There were also some visits Paul made. And you see in chapter 2, verse 1, that's why I wanted to read that. He said, I, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Okay, Paul has already been there, stepped into the messy situation, and it didn't go well. It's like, it's like the principal showing up. You remember those speaking at grade school where the class is kind of out of control or something, and then the, you hear the door slam, and it's the principal. Back in the day, that struck terror into our young hearts. Nowadays, I don't know what happens, but back in the day, the principal, when he did that, he was carrying it, what we called the hack paddle, and he had full authority to line up you, you, and you out in the hall and uh, take care of business. So there was a sense of fear when the principal showed up. Well, Paul had shown up, and it had, it had been a hard visit, and there was some other stuff going on, and Paul's weighing over, do I go again? And he had made plans to go. And he had told him, I'm coming for a visit. And then he didn't come. Okay, now what happens? Well, I'll tell you what happened. When he said, I'm not going to come, there were people there doing this. Well, I don't know why he didn't come. He's wishy-washy. He knew he was a chicken. He came last time, all the big words. Oh, no, he doesn't need And all this went on. And Paul said, okay, hold on. This all got to him. The reason I didn't come was to spare you some pain. You're welcome. See, that's, that's really what happened. But in the interim time, there was a lot of this. 
false accusations by people who, who undermined him, wanted to, he's not all that. So Paul is writing a lot in 2 Corinthians. There's a big chunk uh, that you're going to see is surf in and out of it. There'll be other topics. Then he circles back and says, and by the way, and comments on it again. So this is going to be a theme we get to carry because it's a big deal. Who speaks for God? Paul's a capital A apostle. He speaks for God. And to allow him to be just dragged through the mud and false accusations and so on was not a good thing. So what I want to do then is look with you more in in depth here at verses 12 to 14. Under the heading, as you have in front of you, healthy communication speeds the gospel. So I do want to talk about the communication element here that's going on. There's stuff here for us to learn. Then I'll, I'll step into the other elements a little, uh, a little later, verses 15 to 22. But first of all, these elements of, of communication, you come to verses 12 and 14, you see the word boast used several times. Paul says, for our boast is this. And what he's going to say is, our conscience is clear. I can say that with, very, with, with clarity and transparency. Our conscience was clear. But on the word boast, I just wanted to mention to us, uh, sometimes we hear that word and we quickly say, well, Paul, you shouldn't boast. Boasting is terrible. Well, okay, I get it. Um, boasting in a New Testament sense, that, that term can be used as the bad kind of boasting that we mostly don't like. Um, and it can also be used for the good boasting. That is when there's something to be proud of or something to, to, uh, that should be made famous. And you're going to say it. There was something good. You go to a award ceremony of somebody who actually earns something rather than just, you know, everybody wins. Uh, no, there's something to boast of, something to be proud of. And so Paul is using it in verses 12 and 14 in that sense. Our boast is this. And we're right. We're right to celebrate this. And he's going to talk about his conscience. Now, I mentioned here, some writers see this short paragraph as the book's main thesis. I suppose so. The testimony of our conscience is this. He says, we behaved, we behaved among you with, well, it says transparency or holiness. You could also read um, uh, transparency, not just simplicity. Um, you could read uh, nothing hidden. We, we were not hiding a thing. And my conscience is clear about everything that I said. That's kind of what's going on here. We behaved with you with godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom. We weren't trying to just, you know, blow smoke. We weren't trying to do that. By the grace of God and supremely, sword told you. In other words, I bent over backwards so that when I communicated to you that it was exactly what I should have said and my conscience is clear about every word. Okay? Now, um, verse 13. You kind of have to Listen carefully to Paul. He says, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand. You might say, finally. I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand. You hear what he's saying here? I hope you get it this time. So listen up. We are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. Why would you even say that? Oh, I know. Because we as humans have some very bad communication habits then and now. And this is what was going on then, as will be borne out in the text. Um, if you look with me at your notes, here are some. There were those who heard Paul and said, okay, Paul, I know what you really meant. When you said you couldn't come, I know what you really meant. It'd be like if you were invited over to dinner 
and something came up and you really honestly couldn't come and you phoned them up and said, listen, I can't make it tonight. And they said, oh, I think I know why. It's because you don't like us. You go, whoa, hold on. No, my cat's throwing up and I got two flat tires. I mean, come on. No, I said I couldn't make it. I didn't say I don't like you. Maybe right now. No, you wouldn't say that. Maybe right now I'm not sure I do like you, but that's not what I was saying. There, there's some habits of communication that, they, that took place then. Paul said, I, I'm not going to come. And there were people right away to say, what a wishy-washy guy. See, I just knew that. He was all words last time. Big Paul. Well, you're going to say that when he's not there, aren't you? Strutting back and forth like a big apostle. Who does he think he is anyway? So this is all going on. Okay, I'm saying here, don't send hidden messages and hope people get the hint. They usually don't. <laughs> Have you noticed that? This is about hidden messages. They think they know, they think they know why Paul isn't coming. They think that they don't. Now he's going to tell them. But they're jumping to conclusions about why he's not coming. So I'm just reminding us, sending hidden messages is a bad idea. You know what I mean by that? Where we, where we, we, we think we're being kind, so we kind of hedge at things, you know? It sure would be nice if this happened. It sure would be nice if it was quiet in here. Instead of just saying, hey, honey, would you not do that right now? We'll just hint. We think it's nicer. Some of us have no problem with this. We just say it. But there are others of us who... who just kind of try to sneak things in. We don't want to just say it kindly and clearly. And I'm saying, when it comes to the art of communication, we're typically better off saying something, saying what we mean, and saying it kindly but directly, rather than hoping people get it. I would really love it if someone... Okay, what is that? Well, nobody's going to do it. And you're going to say, wow, nobody really listens to me. Well, you didn't say anything either, did you? You just kind of hinted and hoped somebody would pick it up. And people don't do that. Now, I I put in a parenthetical phrase for the word sincerity. Um, That's in verse 13, godly sincerity. Um, The the word, it's used in in Greek and, of course, in some of its other history in our English word. It has some very interesting backgrounds. I'd amplify it. Uh, We have on our screen art these clay pots, as we will see the figure of speech used again in chapter 4. But when, when clay pots were made, sometimes in the firing of them or using of them, they developed little cracks. And back in the day, it was not unusual if you're a clay pot seller and you want to get the most for your clay pots, if you, you might want to fill in the cracks a little bit with some wax and then touch it up with your stuff that you bought on Etsy or wherever you got it to kind of rub it in so it doesn't look like it's got a big old fatty crack in it. What a great idea. And you can sell it for $5 more. Well, Sincerity means with the idea would be um, without wax. The English word in its in its background etymology is sincere, without wax. In other words, you're not covering up stuff. So sincerity would be um, not just that I mean it; it's that I'm being clear. I'm not giving you a hidden meaning. It's without wax. Okay, and a similar idea that you could say, pull other analogies from the first century in terms of the terms, the, the words that Paul uses, godly sincerity. I'm not, I'm not trying to cover anything up. I don't mean something else here, folks. Okay, are you trying to say this church is, I, no, I didn't say that. I said, I'm not coming for a visit right now. That's what I said. So godly sincerity. So I'm saying as well, skip the barbed comments and the sarcasm. I know that's rough for some of us, isn't it? Because those are our favorite tools. So we, little zingers, little barbed comment, well, they better get that. 
Well, wow, not helpful, typically, in the art of communication. Sarcasm. Well, no, I was just kidding. I, I read a statistic. Oh, certainly aware that 90% of statistics are made up on the spot. But 70... What did I hear? <laughs> that when people say, oh, I was just kidding, typically... About 70% of it, you did mean something. About 70% of the time, you did mean something. Uh, You go, oh, no, I was just kidding. Really, was there any element of truth here that I was poking at? Because we want to send them a signal. We don't want to just say, that's irritating. So we just hint at it or tease at it. Some of our cultures do that better than others. Some of us uh, struggle more to say it. Uh, Don't assume people speak with hidden meanings. That's happening in this text. There are some of us who think we're really good at finding hidden meanings in other people's words. Uh, you guys read comments or uh, comic strips? Um, I do. I still read comics. I like comic strips. Not all of them. Some of them are just, you know, waste of my time. Some of the more politically driven ones I don't read. Dilbert and the Pointy-Haired Boss. I mean, you really should read Dilbert. It's kind of fun. Um, so, so Dilbert, I can just picture all of these with Dilbert and the Pointy-Haired Boss. Dilbert would say something. Pointy-Haired Boss would say, oh, what you're really trying to say is. Dilbert would say, no, that's not at all what I was trying to say. I said what I was trying to say. Oh, now I know what you mean. You mean you want to quit. No, I didn't say I wanted to quit. I said I don't like the you know, temperature in the office. Anyway, that's how they communicate, uh, don't communicate in the comic strip. Dilbert and the Pointy-Haired Boss, you should read this as well. May I say to all of us, you, me, who think we're really good at reading other people's hidden meanings, you're probably not. And many, many times you sin as you do it. Because you assign a meaning to somebody else's words or actions that are not true. And maybe not good. But you're busy saying, I know what you meant. And in, in, in a in mentally accusing your brother or sister of something they are not guilty of, you sin against the body of Christ. Okay? Don't do that. I know what you meant. You haven't looked at me for three weeks. You walked right by me in the... Mm-hmm. I know you're mad at me. Wow. No, maybe I, you know, maybe I had to hurry and go somewhere. I didn't notice. I'm sorry, I guess. But why did you assume? Don't assume. Don't do that. Well, there are things we could say more about that. But that's what's going on in the text. So I, I, ra- I mentioned it, I raised that topic because it's part of what's going on here. It's not the main thing. Turn the page, if you would, the other side. Uh, what Paul is addressing here is not just a communication problem. This isn't just like a seminar on habits of speech. He's addressing a sin problem here as well. Because a lot of times in our communication problems, there are actually sin problems lurking not very far below the surface. A lot of times, as I think was the case with the Apostle Paul, those who were accusing him, those who were his detractors, were jealous of him. There was pride, arrogance on their part. They were trying to bring him down to their level, trying to bring him down a few notches. There's pride. There's all kinds of things percolating below the surface. I think that's probably true in our case. Many times communication problems involve some kind of a sin problem as well. Why do we lie, steal, and cheat? Why do we hide things up? Why don't we communicate clearly? Why do we manipulate so much with our words? Hey, just spend a day watching political ads and you'll know exactly what I mean. Was that the whole truth? Of course not. It's a political ad against somebody. Of course it wasn't the whole truth. It was a part of it, but it certainly, I don't care which side it's on. Everybody does it uh, on, on your political ads. You find something and paint the other guy with the bad brush and... Come on, it's how we do it. Well, it's not how 
God would have his, have his servants communicate. It's not how we should communicate in the body of Christ. So verse 4, or 14 rather, I think is a hint in that direction. It's a sin problem. Uh, just as you did partially understand us. In other words, last time around, you, you only got half of what I said because you were too busy trying to you know, assert that you knew what I meant. You partially understood us. Yeah, he hadn't been vague. You partially, yeah, in a sense then, sinning against Paul so that on the day of our Lord Jesus, he says, this is what I want. I want to be able to boast. You boast of us as we boast of you. I want on that final day, I want it to not be this way. Now, it gets more specific here in verses 15 to 22, and I have it under a little different heading. Uh, I put it under this heading, false and serious accusations should be confronted. And I, I put it that way because, as you know, not everything needs to be addressed that could be addressed. Did you know this? Hopefully you know this in your marriage, if you're married. Not everything that is slightly irritating needs to be talked about. Otherwise, you'd be talking about irritating things all the time. Yes. Uh, so, so uh, you know, Paul, uh, Peter would say, love covers a multitude of sins. So there are a lot of things to just say, just let it go. Just let it go. Let it go. But there are things that you shouldn't let go. That's what I'm pressing on here. Okay. And that's what's going to happen here. Paul is pressing on some things. And I gave you a couple examples uh, in this first bullet point. I referenced the example in Nehemiah 6 as an example of not every accusation should be addressed. You remember, I won't go there, but the whole story there in Nehemiah 6 is very interesting because they're working on building this, you know, this wall. And, and Nehemiah has people who are his detractors who are trying to get him to, to, to you know, quit doing what he's doing to distract him. And so these guys come and they say, hey, guess what? I'm hearing some rumors that you're really planning to, you know, to overthrow the government and all this stuff. And by the way, you need to come meet with us. And they keep asking him, you need to come meet with us. Leave the work on the wall. Come meet with us. We really need to sit down and talk about it. And Paul ends up saying, listen, you guys, Sanballat, the Horonite, and all the rest of you lousy people, I'm not quitting. I have no time to talk to you. It would be a wasted effort, and there's no rumor. You're the one starting it. I'm not coming. Wow, he didn't come. You might, you might say, well, that was kind of rude. No, it wasn't. It wasn't rude at all. He was right on task doing the myriad of things that God called him to do and to just go down there and fiddle with these uh, Sanballat the Hornite and all the other guys. Geshem. Geshem is mentioned. Whoever Geshem is. Geshem says it. I think that's like the National Enquirer of the ancient world. So I read it in a paper somewhere. And Nehemiah says, you know what? Forget it. I'm not even going to take the time to discuss it. So there was a time even for Nehemiah to not go to not rise to the occasion. But the Apostle Paul here says, no, this is one. Um, Second bullet point, he addresses the charge of being wishy-washy, citing God's faithfulness. So look with me at the text, verse 15. He says, because I was sure of this, okay, what he had just talked about, we were clear, our conscience is clear, I wanted to come to you first. Here's what happened. I wanted to come to you so that you might have a second experience of grace. He's not talking about what some people would talk about as a second work of grace by the Holy Spirit. In some circles you hear talk about, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about if he were to come, there would be a grace of God at work amongst them as they cared for and ministered to one another. I wanted to come so that you'd have this second experience of grace, like last time, you might say, or a previous visit, he says, I wanted to visit you on my way back, or way to Macedonia, to come back to you from Macedonia, to have you send me on my way to Judea. That is like, take up a love offering for them, and, and let's help us travel. Now, now he's going to get very direct. Was I vacillating when you heard me say yes? 
Uh, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Did I make my plans according to the flesh? Yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time. Now, yes, yes, repetition. Different cultures have different ways of communicating things. You understand different languages. To say yes, yes here would be like saying absolutely, exclamation mark. If you get an email or a text or some other social media exchange where it's written in capital letters, bolded, underlined, uh, with, with three exclamation marks. What's going on? They're shouting at you, aren't they? That's what he said. Quit yelling at me. It's written down, for goodness sakes. But that's what way we, we would do it. Bold, underlined, capital letters, uh, exclamation marks, whole series of them, because several exclamation marks is clearly more than one. So, so more. Well, that's a convention. It's a way of communicating. Well, yes, yes would be a way of saying, oh, absolutely. And no, no would be a way of saying, no, absolutely not. So Paul's asking, when we said we were coming, did, were you thinking I was talking out of both sides of my mouth? Is that it? Were you thinking I said, oh, sure, absolutely, and didn't mean it? Is, is that what you are accusing me of? That I, I didn't mean what I said? And Paul's pushing back on that. He says, no, hold on, hold on now. Did you hear me say yes and no? Yes, yes, and no, no, absolutely certain on both of those at the same time. He says, as surely as God is faithful. So I'm saying this before God. Our word to you has not been yes and no. No, we were not doing that. I meant what I said. I said what I meant. And don't read any more into it. Our word was not yes and no. Now he's going to get into looking at what God is like. How does God communicate? That's his, that's his standard. He said, I want to communicate like God does. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, that is Sylvanus, Timothy, and I, he was not yes and no. Jesus, Jesus wasn't speaking out of both sides of his mouth. In him, it's always yes. You can take what he said to the bank. You can count on his word. When Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth, that would be yes. He meant that. When Jesus said in John 10, I'm the good shepherd, no one can snatch you out of my hand. He wasn't saying that out of both sides of his mouth. He meant it. So when Jesus said it, he said, believe, when Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Okay, he meant that. So the word of God, he meant that. So you can say, the, in him, it's always yes. That means certain. That's exactly what it means. And now he goes even further to talk about what God is like. For all the promises of God, find their yes, that certainty in him. And that's why it's through him that we utter our amen. We say, yes, God, amen is a way of saying, so be it. That's why we say amen at the end of a, of a prayer. Did you know that? It doesn't just mean I'm out. I'm done now. Let's eat. Uh, that's the way we often think about amen. But, but amen is a cool word that means right or do it or, or I'm with you or something positive and affirming and, and right on. We, we might say so, so here, um, it is, it is through him, through Christ, that we say, yes, amen, so be it, to God for his glory, because he keeps his word. And so when God speaks, I can say, amen, exactly. You do it, and he will. So he's, he's looking at the certainty of the word of God, the certainty when Christ speaks. And Paul is saying, we want to communicate like he does. I want my speech to be clear, and when I give my word, I want, to, I want it to be rock-solid, that's what I, that's, that he's, God is my goal to communicate like he does. Nothing hidden, uh, no obfuscation, which is kind of a weird word to mean clear. Uh, I don't understand it. It's English language. Isn't that great? You write that down. 
obfuscation. Use it someday at work. They, there's a lot of obfuscation around here. And they'll say, what is that? You say, well, it's not very clear. Like, well, then why didn't... It's fun. It's really fun. I don't know who did that to the English language, but he's obfuscating. Okay, well, good. I'll have to do that. Um, so Paul is saying we want to communicate. God is our standard. And I, I want, he was, he, when he said it, he meant it. I'm saying, amen, uh, you do it. And that's the way I want to communicate it. But he's not done talking about God because verse 21 takes a little further. And I have this on your sermon notes, mentioning that one writer uh, calls this section, verses 21, 22, one of the most God-centered, God-focused paragraphs in the Pauline corpus. Now, there's another cool word for you, body of writing. I use corpus because that's, I'm quoting somebody, so I didn't want to mess with that person's words. The Pauline body of of material, one of the most God-centered, God-focused paragraphs. So what's he saying to us? He's got a point here. He's not just teaching good theology, though that's not bad. So verse 21, he says, it is God, he's continuing his thought, and it is God who did these four things. He establishes us with you in Christ. He has anointed us collectively, us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, some might look at this and say, well, I think he, when he says anointed and sealed and so on, I think he's talking about just the apostles. And I think, no, actually he's not. Because the, the, these things God does for all true believers. And Paul has a, has a reason here to be saying these things. So I'm going to talk about them each in a moment, uh, line by line. If you look at your sermon notes, you'll see it. He establishes us in Christ. I'm saying past tense, meaning when a person comes to Christ, that is something God does. That is, he, 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 it's saving grace. He, he establishes, he roots you, he places you in Christ, is the way Paul likes to say it elsewhere. When you trust Christ as your Savior, he places you into the body of Christ. In Christ, Paul says over and over again. He establishes us with you in him, in Christ. So we have, we have a common place. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is our first commonality. Second, he has anointed us, which is a, a in, the, in the Jewish system of thought, very, very familiar Prophet, priest, king, anointed Old Testament. Other types of anointing took place. But you could think here, as I've given you on your sermon notes there, commissioned us. Commissioned us to serve him. All of us, we've got a mission. Christ did not just save you, so you just sit there. There's a reason why you're alive. There's a reason why you're taking up space. He's not done with you yet. That's why you're here. So, so commissioned us, anointed us. There's a purpose, there's a reason that God has you here even now. He, he has put his seal on us, and a mark of ownership. You know, we're heading into the holidays here, uh, as you well know, and I'm certainly you're excited about, as am I. I love it. Yes, I do. Best time of the year. It really is the most wonderful time of the year. When you're looking for gifts for people who don't really need a gift and you can't think of anything meaningful, you know those little, you can find this in the, those catalogs of useless gifts that you just give because you should. It's those little packets where you, where you drip wax on something, a little candle, and you have a, you can put like a, get an M for Mosser and stamp. You, you, maybe if you do that in your life and culture, I didn't mean any harm. What I called it worthless. I'm just saying it's not necessary. All right? Backing it up, backing it up. I'm going to have six of you meet me in the hall and say, I've been doing that for years. Really meaningful. Sorry. 
but but it's a mark. You'd say, okay, there, M, Moss, or you, you could do this. Similar to uh, the old Wild Wild West when they had ranches. Remember, and you'd say, this is the bar, double X, Q. It's not long, because if you brand them too much with that, you kill them. <laughs> but it has to be short. But it's a mark of ownership. You get the idea. It's the mark of ownership. You're dealing with cows. You go, oh, that belongs to the guy down the road. How do you know? It's a brand. There's a brand on it. It's a mark of ownership. So similarly here, he has put his seal on us. He's saying, when you trust Christ as your Savior, you get this, that one belongs to me. Isn't that cool? That one belongs to me. I can tell. I put my seal on that person. That person is mine. And then finally, he's given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. If you know Christ is your Savior, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's not like a bonus gift. Uh, Romans 8 9 tells you that. If anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him at all. But if you do know Christ is your Savior, the Spirit of God, when you trusted him the very first moment, you trusted Christ is your Savior, you didn't even recognize it. Spirit of God moved in to take up residence in your heart and life, to begin that process of change, turning the light up a little bit. You know, if you live with a 10-watt bulb in your house, you don't notice a lot of stuff. Suddenly you get a 50-watt bulb and you go, whoa, huh, who knew it looked that bad? And then you get up to 75 Spirit of God turns a lot, like turning the light up and starts cleaning it out. It's the work that he does. So he's given us his spirit as a guarantee of that much greater day when we're fully in his presence and all sin is gone in the light of his holiness. So those four things. Now, Paul has a point here. Here's, here's, here's what I think it is. He's pointing to our commonality in Christ, another word for unity. He's saying, hey, dear friends, as you guys line up to attack me, or a whole bunch of you do, line up to, to practice very poor communication skills and read into my motives and character assassination and all that. As you line up to do that, can I just remind you of some things? We all belong in the same family. Christ has placed us in his body. He's commissioned us all for the same mission. He's anointed us. We're all marked by him. We belong to him. See, we're his and the Holy Spirit dwells in us all. We're family, dear friends. Why, why, would you, why would you do that to your family? Why would you sin against your family like you're currently doing? Paul would say, do you see what God has done? Do you see who we are together? So now he steps right into next week's text. I call God to witness against me. Here's, here's what you need to know since you need to know it apparently. He didn't have to go to verse 23 explaining what was really going on. He didn't have to. He could have just, you know what? You guys are assigned wrong motives to me. And that was sin against a brother or sister. Now, let me tell you what my motives really were. Enough to have them go, oh, sorry about that. And of course, the bigger point is, you didn't have to wait to say sorry about that. Maybe you could have just learned not to assign wrong motives to a brother or sister to begin with. That's a thought. Wow. Well, we'll follow that next week. Uh, indeed, verse 23 down to chapter 2, verse 4. We're looking at that next Sunday. I want to go to the part called responding to God's word, if I may. Just for a couple of moments here. The bigger point in the text, you recall, isn't communication. It's the, my number three, my third level down. But I'm going to talk about it anyway. Do you need help in your communication habits? Uh, don't even answer that or say yes or no. You do. I could put it different. Yes, you do. To be a human is to need some kind of help in your communication habits. And I, I suggest you read the book of Proverbs. I'm not just saying, okay, just read a Bible verse and call it good. I'm not, I don't mean that. 
And I'm, I'm referring here, at least verbally, to uh, um, a moment in my life. I was much younger. I was 23. I remember it very distinctly. And I was in a ministry setting where I was the guy who needed to address some things in a meeting that were, had the potential to go really poorly. And I knew it. And it was my job to do. I was the guy. And I knew I had, it was about a week away, meeting was, and I knew, oh man, I was scared to death, but I, this, I knew, I knew that if I was silent and didn't address what I needed to address, I would be abdicating my responsibility as a very, very young church leader. And so I prepared myself and thought, I'm going to have to do this. I got to do it. God helped me. I did a lot of praying. And I read the whole book of Proverbs. And I, you know what I did? I still have the Bible. I could show it to you. I marked in red everything the book of Proverbs says about speech. Do you have any idea how much there is in the book of Proverbs on speech? More than you'd think. I memorized a number of them. Um, I, I marked words, uh, listening, the role of anger as it affects our speech. The, the sin that we commit when we don't listen. The one who answers before hearing. That's folly and shame to him, the text says. The one who answers before he listens. Folly, foolishness, shame on you, the wisdom writer says. I read them all, and then uh, that week, I spent so much time in Proverbs, it wasn't even funny. Um, but that was my meat for the week. And then the hour before the meeting, I was there in the meeting room alone, and I was going to my Bible again, reading the highlights in, in red, to say, oh God, make this true of me. I'm not good at this. You have to help me. You must. So do this. And God met us there that night. But if you, I, I just suggested to you, if you need a little project, read the whole book of Proverbs and mark everything it says about speech. Pick a dozen, pick one verse from every chapter and memorize it. You might learn something. You might. Have you ever assigned wrong motives to somebody else on shaky grounds? Are you one of the people, do you assume you can read minds? I know what you mean. I'm saying that's unhelpful and sinful behavior. Something to repent of and to turn away from. For every moment you're correct, there'll be a hundred others that you're wrong and you assigned wrong motives to a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe even holding a grudge against something you heard them say and they didn't say that. But you're sure they did. And when you are wrong, you sin against a brother. For every time you pat yourself on the bracket and say, I knew that. A bunch of other times you got it wrong and you didn't give it a second thought. And you sinned against that friend, brother, sister, marriage partner. Don't do that. Don't assign wrong motives. Don't do that on shaky grounds. No, if you think that's the motive, you ask. You ask for clarification. And, and make sure that there's, you're not just in arrogance saying, I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. No, you don't. And then my final comment, all of this is under that big umbrella. All of it, the gospel the gospel is so important. The story of Jesus, his coming to earth, taking on a human body, living a perfect life, being our sin bearer on the cross. This, this message is so important. Why would we want it to get messed up by our human stupidity? That's what Paul's trying to clear out. Don't, don't mess up the gospel message. Don't mess it up like that. Paul says we're all in one body. We're all in one family. Look what God has done in all of our lives. Don't let the gospel get polluted because we sit around with our little pride-filled arrogance and accuse other people of things they may or may not have meant or said. It's God's gospel. It's his gospel. It's a treasure 
we'll see in chapter four, a treasure. Wow. Well, those are things to think about. I know what you're thinking. It's time to go. <laughs> Sorry. Let's stand together. Let's, let's pray together as we head out. Oh, Father, thank you so much. We in our human frailness get so much wrong. We do. We have developed habits from our past, habits from our family of origin, or just from our own weird personalities where we just do some of these things wrong. Oh, Father, would you help us put a, put a guard, oh, Lord, over our mouth. Keep watch over the door of our lips. Remembering James' words when he says, if anyone doesn't offend with his words, he's a perfect person. <laughs> Indeed, Lord, we do offend. Forgive us for the times we, we do so, so casually and don't go back and clean it up. Don't repent. Please help us. And, oh, Father, thank you for the gospel. What a precious gift this is. The story of Jesus, Jesus himself. What a gift. Help us not to mess up the communication of the gospel in such silly ways. Bless your people this week. Care for us in all of our difficulties and challenges. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.